Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Mom on the Verge podcast, where I aim to help you improve your sense of joy, purpose, and meaning in this life. We will talk about a lot of different ways we can do this, but ultimately, we'll be working toward finding our way back home to ourselves and remembering that even in the most challenging times, peace is only a breath away. I am your host, Katie Farinas, a mom, nurse, and yogi on a mission to improve mental health and build community in our world. Welcome back to the show. Today I have on Jamie Cromer Grew. Jamie is a licensed clinical social worker. She's a board certified psychoanalyst, which I didn't even know what that was. I had to ask her. So if you are also in the dark, she's going to give us a really great explanation of what that is. And she's also a certified Chopra Ayurvedic Ayurvedic lifestyle instructor. And Jamie had a solely clinical practice where she saw patients for many hours a day, every day for many years. And although she loved her practice, she went through a personal challenge that left her a little destabilized, left her um, realizing that the tools she had, although they were wonderful, weren't quite enough to get her through this particularly tough journey in her life. And so she went seeking for some additional information, some additional skills and tools and knowledge and wisdom to round out her practices. And um, she decided after all of that, that although she loved her clinical practice and she still does it to this day, she wanted to be able to reach more people um, instead of just working one-on-one. So she continues to work one-on-one, but now she's on a mission to also provide opportunities for people to learn and grow um, and discover these beautiful tools for a beautiful life um, through things like retreats and um journaling prompts that she offers and meditations um, and all types of things that you can find on her web, a website called windows to wisdom.com, um, which I will put in the show notes. But we talked um, about her three pillars, which are meditation, journaling, and dream interpretation. I wish we had more time because we delved pretty far into those first two, but we ran out of time and didn't have time to do a whole lot of talking about that last one. So I think I might have to either ask her if she'd be interested in coming back or find somebody else who would like to talk about that topic because it's pretty fascinating. Um, but we talked about you know how those things can be beneficial, why sometimes people are afraid to engage in them or even engage in therapy itself. Um, and um, what we can do to overcome those barriers and why it's beneficial to us and why it's worth it to overcome those barriers and to be able to really get to know ourselves better and understand ourselves and um, have a deeper relationship with ourselves. So I think you're really going to enjoy this. And uh, I will be at the end to uh, talk you through a mindful moment exercise for this coming week. Enjoy, friends. Hi, Jamie. Welcome to Mom on the Verge. Hi, Katie. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, of course. I'm, of course. We were just talking for a few minutes offline before we started recording, and I think this is going to be a really great conversation. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, before we dive in, why don't you just tell my audience um, who you are, what you do, and I always love to ask how you came to do what you do, because there's usually a pretty fascinating story behind it. 
Okay. Well, we're going to, I'll give you a snapshot, but so my name is Jamie Cromer Grew and I originally became a clinical social worker and um, was in private practice, worked in the department of psychiatry at Tulane and worked at group home and um, started a private practice and realized there was something more I needed to know to give me a framework of how to think about the, the issues that people were bringing to me. So I eventually became a board certified psychoanalyst. And now I'm a training and supervising analyst. So I teach, I help analyze other people who are becoming analysts. I'm on faculty at the New Orleans Birmingham Psychoanalytic Center. I'm the president, the head of progress and the head of outreach over there. So I'm very busy. Um, years ago though, uh, I had a family crisis. Um, my son almost died. Mm -hmm. And although I had done a lot of my own work, um, mind, body, spirit, this really challenged me in ways that I had not anticipated. Um, it really challenged some, some thoughts I had inside me about if I'm good, if I'm smart, if I get all the resources, somehow it'll kind of all be okay. And ultimately it is, it is always all okay. But that turbulent ride in the middle, I wasn't prepared for how much it was going to rock my world. Mm. So at that point I went on my own first retreat and out to the Chopra center was totally inspired because that framework I told you about with psychoanalysis, it gave me a framework for how to listen and to really understand developmentally positive things, but also the, the symptoms and issues that can come up with people. Chopra really taught about this other framework, this framework of hearing ourselves in this bigger consciousness, um, mind, body, spirit. And to me, these two things aligned so well. I felt like I needed to create a synergistic, holistic practice if for myself and then to share it. And so I became certified teacher uh, for Ayurvedic wellness through the Chopra Center and began to integrate those things. And over time, I created Windows to Wisdom, which is a a company that I founded in order to help more people. I was sitting in my chair eight to 10 hours a day, helping people one-to-one, -one, which I found very meaningful um, and powerful. Uh, but when my son almost died and there were all these other challenges, I really questioned, first of all, can I stay doing this level of work mm -hmm. one every day if I have to attend to family? How else can I share these gifts and my passion? So that was part of it. And I also just realized I needed more balance in my life. I had spent over 28 years doing this business and sitting in my chair, eight to 10 hours a day, five days a week. So for me, it was like shift my life. So now I have, I still practice, I still teach, I do all of those things, but I might see 25 hours of patients a week instead of way, 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 way more than that. So Windows to Wisdom was really built to help as many women as possible through transformative programs and courses and retreats to really help guide women from not trusting themselves, not feeling confident, to feeling confident enough to make the changes and decisions they need to make, particularly around transition points, because we get to a point where we're really good, but if we're gonna grow to that next level, or if we face really big challenges, we sometimes need to gather up more resources or we need to shift our lives. And at any point we may need more resources, more support. So mm -hmm. that's really uh, the heart of Windows to Wisdom. Yeah. Okay. Well, I love all that. I have so many questions. First one is very basic. I've been, you know, very involved in the um, world of mental health for a long time, but I don't actually know what a psychoanalyst is. So oh. what is the difference between okay. like a therapist and a psychiatrist yes. and a psychoanalyst? Yes. <laughs> Okay. Well, there's several things that make a big difference. One is the amount of training that's involved. Mm -hmm. 
So okay. in order for you to become a mental health professional, you either get a master's and then you get licensed with lots of supervision hours and, uh, and actual practice at doing the work. And, or um, you also, well, you get licensed and you can be a clinical social worker. You can be a psychiatrist, a psychologist. Being a psychoanalyst is that next step. You already have to have all of that in place. My students right now are psychiatrists, psychologists, and clinical social workers already. And they realize that they want to take that next step of really being able to help people on a much deeper, deeper level. And it's the, it gives a framework of listening um, the best way I can tell you is that when people learn, they learn a bunch of different techniques. And this is not to dismiss anybody who's not a psychoanalyst because there are some really good clinicians out there. But but obviously, most of my practice actually is clinicians, people who come to me who are in the field and other healing professionals. But at some point, they hit up at a point like they either have a little bit of imposter syndrome or they end up with extra challenges and they don't know how to apply the resources. They don't know how to listen. Like I'm listening, but how do I know what to say when? How do I make sense of this dynamic? How do I use myself in the listening process, which is why you have to go through your own psychoanalysis. Um, it helps create a framework and some boundaries and ethics around the practice. So the first answer is just way more training, which also includes way more supervision. Um, it's an additional five years of training Wow. And, and then for me, I went on to get board certified, um, which is sort of like a defense of your work nationally. Um, yeah. So it's, so in terms of what is psychoanalysis, it's listening for things that are not on the surface. So you have to take in the unconscious that there's something that's hidden from our view that creates concerns, symptoms, wishes, fears, and the informs things that are happening in our life. We may find ourselves repeating the same patterns over and over again. We don't know why mm -hmm. we, we know exactly what to do, but we don't do it. So we have resistances to change that we don't understand. Usually that there's an old story or there's things that are behind the view. Like, so mm -hmm. it's about taking time to listen. Um, and that's probably the most important thing. We value the, the relationship, the relationship with your therapist and analyst is so important because they're there to, it's like a living laboratory. Usually something comes up in the room that helps us in real time, really see what's going on. Mm. So it's a very relational process. Um, but there is a lot of overlap. A lot of the things that people talk about, like CBT or DBT, like the roots of a lot of these things come originally from psychoanalysis, that there is something going on in our thoughts and our feelings that we don't necessarily understand. Yeah. So it's the, probably the, the short version. All right. That's fascinating. Um, cause I would never have even thought to, uh, seek out a psychoanalyst. Oh, wow. So, you know, yeah. that's, um, and, and like, like I said, there's been a lot of therapy in this household. So, <laughs> Um, I, oh, I never, no one ever mentioned I would highly that. recommend a very well-trained analyst. I would. Yeah. How yeah. do you go? And how do you go about finding one? Well, the best way to do, it, if you go to the American Psychoanalytic Association, APSA, they usually have a pretty complete list, at least of their members of psychoanalysts. The IPA also worldwide has a list of analysts. Um, and usually the main, most major towns have a psychoanalytic center um, some more than others where you can actually reach out to the psychoanalytic center that's local. So we get a lot of calls for referrals at our psychoanalytic center. Um, 
and you can get referrals that way. So usually just Googling psycho, psychoanalytic centers, psychoanalysis, you'll start finding those resources. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. That's great information for our, for my audience because, um, yes. you know, we focus a lot on mental health. So the more information everybody has, the better, you know, yes. knowledge is power. So, all right. Well, thank you for that explanation. And then I also wanted to back up to where you said, given giving women the, I think you used the term confidence, right? Is that the term you used? to make changes. So in another episode I had, I was speaking to another woman and we were talking about how sometimes women don't make change because they, there's like an underlying self-worth issue that they don't think that they're worth it. And so they don't make the change. And that kind of it seems like it's in line with what you're saying. It's, it's, if they don't think that they're worth it, then giving them the confidence of believing in themselves is a really powerful tool because, you know, no one can make change. I, no one can make change for anyone else. And in fact, my, remember my daughter was going through like the depths of her situation. And I said to her, you know, I'm your mom and there's nothing I want more in this world than to be able to take this pain from you or fix this for you. But I can't like, I, you are the only one who can do this. And I'm here to guide you as much as I can, love you, support you, get you to the right resources, but you are the only one who can fix this. And she looked at me like I had lost my mind, but it's the truth. It probably probably scared her to hear that because I think children, you know, really rely on their parents literally to give them everything at some point. And then slowly developmentally, we separate and we begin to do things on our own. But when people are in a lot of pain and really afraid, they regress and they want to be taken care of. So it's a very scary part. And and mental health is not easy. There's no cookie cutter approach Mm -hmm. Uh, and takes time. You never, I I, I just understand that world so much. I know how much pain all of you have gone through and the hard journey you've been on. It's very traumatic. Um, But I can also imagine her looking at you and going like, what do you mean? You do, you know, but (laughs) that's part of my, I think that is, I think at the heart of that is what I, what I'm talking about is that deep inside we feel, I I want people to feel like they can reach out. They can get the resources, mentorship connections they need, but when it comes down to it, it's up to you because you're the one private in your own bodies, in your own minds, you have your own connection or not to your world, people in your world. And And so your level of confidence though, is also affected by some of these things I'm talking about that are hidden. Like your confidence is affected by how you view your life and your world, Mm -hmm. right? From from even if you're looking at, this would be a very good example of just like a cognitive issue, like a cognitive distortion where you're mostly looking at the bad and not the good, or you maximize your mistakes and minimize the positives. Even if you come from that frame, you can imagine how that affects your worldview versus someone who does the opposite. And so you're automatically just with that going to have someone who's more confident, but someone who's had trauma, someone who carries a lot of shame, people that have underlying stories of like, I am broken. There's something really wrong with me. I am bad. I have done and said things that are bad. I don't just, so it's like worthiness, um, guilt, shame. So to me, mm-hmm. you've got confidence, but underneath that, there's all these things that inform that. Um, yes. And also the world you were, you're living in. So your family matters. And if you have really supportive people around you that can help, it doesn't fix things, but it can help. Mm-hmm. And if you have not very supportive and or abusive people around you, you can imagine the toll it takes on people's self-esteem and confidence and trust in themselves. Yeah. 
So how do you get women to start identifying those things? So we, you know, I, I also teach meditation and in my very beginning, like when I'm introducing people to the concept, I say like, you have, you know, you become like the, what is it? Like the five most people you spend your most time around, right? Because you're interacting with those people and they're talking in your ear and you're hearing their messages, but guess who you spend 100% of your life with yourself and the voice in your head, which is talking to you all the time and repetitively talking to you over and over again. And those messages are so powerful and so influential, but often unnoticed. You don't even recognize the voice in your head telling you all these things because it's kind of happening in the background. So how do you get women to start? I start listening to what's going on inside of their heads and then deciding whether it's true or not, and then changing the narrative if it needs to be changed. Right. Well, I, when, when you ask me that, I kind of see it through two different lenses. One is what happens when people walk into my office, people walk into my office because they already know they're suffering. And so when they come in, they're suffering from something, depression, anxiety, relationship issues, feeling lost. And in the process, particularly about analysis, one of the things that I might ask someone to say is, I want you just to say whatever comes to your mind, right? Because, and, and not to dismiss it as stupid or inconsequential or ridiculous or anything, because, and that's my job all along, I think is teaching two things uh, to begin with, which is curiosity and non-judgment. Because if I can get someone curious about their mind and about what's going on, instead of judging, I'm crazy, I'm stupid, you're going to hate me, you're going to judge me. If I tell you this thing, you're not going to like me either, which by the way, I'm just going to share every single person who ever comes into my office has some version of that. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just the human experience of like, if people only knew, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's about creating a benevolent other inside of your own mind that is able to just like hold you and support you and be curious. So that's a framework and being able to just say, watch what you're thinking and watch as an observer without judgment, the way that the way I trans, and then of course I'm working, I'm sharing, like if someone's sharing with me, I'm a mirror, like I'll share, I'll say something like, well, I'm wondering as you're saying that, do you hear dot, dot, dot. Or I remember when you mentioned this. So our goal is to help shed some light and to create a sense of knowing the patterns and the history and the history, the whole history. And usually what happens is things come into view that weren't into view. Like not only the, some of the negative thoughts that are there that they weren't aware of, but a lot of good stuff gets hidden. People are very keen to hold on to the bad stuff and guess what's hidden behind the bad stuff is some really good stuff. Um, so in my work with windows to wisdom, I talk about it, like these, these three key components of like how to have create self-awareness. One is through meditation because, and you, as you know, as a meditation teacher, there's a lot of benefits to meditation that are physical, emotional, um, spiritual. And so we can lower our blood pressure. We can downregulate bad genes, upregulate good genes. I could go on and on about the physical benefits. It also taps us into deep levels of creativity mm-hmm. and it helps us open up to ourselves, right? So some of my best ideas came through my meditative practices, mm-hmm. synchronicities start to happen, right? So there's a flow that happens when you get connected and quiet with yourself. Um, so meditation is one way, and I'm just going to make a little asterisk on the side because I don't want to forget to say this. Uh, most people are afraid to actually sit quiet with themselves. Yeah. This is why people don't want to meditate, journal, go to therapy or understand their <laughs> themes. 
which is what I'm about to tell you. Um, <laughs> like, I don't, well, I don't even know if I want to know what I'm thinking. Right. So yeah. I, I think the idea is like, it's like inviting that process. So I need to help people feel like, how do I feel safe in this process? Yeah. Uh, how, how can I control what's coming up? So these are the kinds of things about containment and pacing and, and reassurance and support that people need if they want to go on this journey. Um, and, and to remember a lot of what you're unearthing is actually the treasures and the good stuff, not the bad stuff, but people fear the bad. So the first thing is meditation. The second access is through journaling and there's various kinds of journaling, many different kinds, but I talk about free association journal journaling because that. I just say, literally put your pen to paper and start writing anything you're thinking. Even if this is stupid, I don't know what to say. If anyone read this, they would mm. think, dumb, like, whatever. Yeah. Um, because again, <laughs> treasure is at the end. So I tell yeah. people journal 10 to 15 minutes to journal at least three pages. And I, I offer lots of prompts for people at times, but usually I just say, if you can have prompts, prompts are wonderful. And so I have a lot of that, like journaling to the self kind of exercises and challenges. But I also just say, get out a notebook and write, what do I most need to know right now? Yeah, really that's great. Open. That's what do great. I, I love that right now. Um, or if you have a specific dilemma or question, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it could be as simple as, um, you know, it, I, I'm in a meditation group and we were supposed to be inspired to figure out something in nature that inspires us for the winter solstice. Right. And like, I was feeling a little stuck. This is a good example of how I help other people work. I do my own work with my own mm -hmm. things, just so you know, yeah. but I was looking around and I saw this weeping willow and, um, and I thought, well, I don't, I don't know if I want that. I don't want that one. I tell people this all the time. Don't dismiss the thing because yes. <laughs> the gifts are in there. So I, yeah. so I walked myself through my own sort of meditative process that I do this inner compass journey. And I had another really valuable set of like clues and symbols that came out of that, that I loved, but I came back to this weeping willow and I didn't want it because in my mind, that was about grief and sadness. And there were some things going on with one of my family mm -hmm. members not doing well. And, but hidden in that is like, no, it's also a symbol of happiness. It's also a symbol of, um, resurrection, new opportunities and happiness. And so so I guess it's, again, the non-judgment. Um, but so journaling is a way to access all different aspects of your internal world. Um, yeah. And the third one is dream interpretation and, and unpacking symbols. So I just mentioned this visualization. And if you go through a visualization, you're going to have symbols, inner guides that offer you things, offer you messages. So you have to be able to decode that. And I certainly help people, but really what I want to do is inspire people to learn how to do these things for themselves. And dreams are windows to the unconscious. They do offer you clues. Um, and, you know, there's manifest content. There's usually a residue of the day. Um, and then there's something to understand. What message is my unconscious trying to tell me in this moment? And one other thing I'll say is that when people track their dreams over time, and especially if they're doing the work, they will often see repetitive dreams either shift completely and change to another dream, or they'll slowly start changing. Um, and you'll start seeing evolution inside the imagery that's happening. So for example, mm -hmm. someone who's having a fight with someone and the blows are not landing, and then suddenly the blows are landing, and then suddenly they don't have to fight anymore, right? Like that would be an example. 
Yeah. Um, so those are the three ways I invite people to access their unconscious and start doing the work. Um, and then of course, like you, I think having daily practices, I just feel like it's very hard to do this work if you're not taking care of yourself. And mm -hmm. I believe self-aware is self-care. So you have to have a personalized process of, of, you know, you have to have that personalized process and you can only yeah. do that by knowing what you need, you know, in your daily habits. Yeah. But, a, I, but I usually make sure people are journaling, <laughs> exercising, you know, there's we talk yeah. about what kind, you know, whether it's, whether you're walking or lifting weights or if you're gratitude journaling or you're free associative journaling, or you're meditating with mantra or, and I don't actually know what kind of meditation you do. What do you do? I have done pretty much all forms of meditation. I love them all. There's really not much that I don't like in meditation. I feel like they give different benefits, uh, for me personally. And then like on, on a certain day, I might be more called towards a certain type of meditation. And another day I might feel called more called towards another type of meditation. So I am, I try to rely very heavily on my intuition on my entire, in my whole life. That's like the basis yeah. of my whole life. Um, and so I just kind of, I've learned this was, a, you know, this took many, many years, but I have, learned and I'm still learning, right? Cause it's always a process to yes. trust my intuition and to just go with what comes and to not question it and to, um, just believe and trust that my, my, I know, I always know the answer. Yeah. Yes. Well, um, and that's such a, and, and, and many people don't have that, the trust part. Yeah. Um, they really can't trust themselves. And, um, and so that it's about developing that and, and opening them up to the possibility of learning to trust, learning to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Like this morning. So this morning, so you'll, as a psychoanalyst, you'll find this very fascinating. I have no idea what this means, but I went to yoga this morning and, um, I think also, you know, everyone receives downloads, what I call downloads in different ways, right? So, you know, it could be a vision, it could be a dream, it could be something you see in the material world, it could be so many different ways. But yes. for me, it often just is like, it's like a thought, but it's not a thought. So it, it comes from the inside, it usually comes when I'm in a, you know, a practice where I'm going internal, um, but it's just like a download, it just kind of like shows up. And so this morning I am in yoga and all of a sudden I have, it's not usually a vision, but today it was a vision. Um, I have this vision of me at a playground when I was a kid and I can't tell you what happened at the playground. I know it was something that happened in my past and I know it was not good and I can tell, but I cannot tell you what it was. Now, why, why did that come to me at that time? Ladies and gentlemen, when I figure it out, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's trusting that because I feel like that's something I need to unpack because it showed up in that way. Um, and I could very easily be like, I don't know what that was. I'm just going to ignore that. But now I'm going to like try to seek out and, and have that memory come to me because I feel like it, I, it needs to come to me. And, and, and that's another one of my questions. So we talked about people being afraid. Yes. And are they, what are they afraid of? Are they afraid that the things that will come to them, the things that they will discover or remember or whatever the case may be, will be like too much to handle? Like they won't be like, what is the fear component? Because I feel like, and you tell me as a psychoanalyst that your brain will protect you. Like it won't uncover things for you until you're like ready to uncover them. Yeah. 
Well, I love that. I really do. And I try to encourage people to think about it that way. And for anyone who's come in specifically to work on trauma, this is really important. It's like creating pacing and containment is a really important part of like saying, I need to feel safe. I do a lot of things to create safety. Like I have people tap into symbols of strength. I create a safe place. We're literally in almost a reverie. You can conjure up the feeling of safety, have an image of safety so that the download is I am safe or I am strong and brave. And that's in a symbol, it can be in an experience. Um, so that just gives you a little framework. But I, I also believe that you will handle whatever comes. But I, but I, but to be super honest with you, that does not always happen. And that's why people end up feeling really flooded or really overwhelmed. So the problem is the fear is kind of real sometimes like, oh gosh, but this is it. This is it. I mostly believe you're going to have what you need right when you need it. But I also think if you have the skills and tools, no matter what happens, you can then regulate yourself, right? This goes into that window to what windows of wellness for me is like, what are the skills I need to regulate my nervous system mm-hmm. on a daily basis? And if I do this daily, then I'm practiced and ready. There's different breathing techniques. There's meditation. There's, you know, balancing your chakras through sound, through sound, how we feed ourselves and the foods we take in. Like to me, the way you balance every day, all day helps you prepare for any of the things that are going to come. Yeah. Um, but I do think things are meaningful. I love that you're open to it. Um, and so you asked me, so two things, I'm thinking about your memory and I'll hold that for a second, but um, what are people afraid of? They're afraid of falling apart. They're afraid of losing themselves uh, and who they know themselves to be. They're afraid to lose relationships. Um, they're afraid that they're going to go crazy. They're mm-hmm. afraid that someone won't like them or they're going to be judged. Um, and I think I think those are the ones, I think those are the main ones. Um, And I think everyone carries those in different ways because we all carry shame, little and big. Um, I also feel like people are sort of waiting for like the big thing to pop out. And what I tell people is this, for the most part, the things that happened that were bad, you remember. Occasionally things are hidden from view, um, but mostly people remember. So that's one thing. And second, our bodies remember all kinds of things, even when our minds don't. So the, the, again, the thing is just keeping yourself safe and balanced every day so you can actually do the work. So for you, I would say there is a reason it came up right in that minute. And my guess is it was something you were thinking about right before, or there's something about the way you were moving your body uh, that, that triggered this memory. Um, I don't know what position you were in or what was happening, but it's almost like something like that, or something else is aligned in the personal work that you're doing, where you opening yourself up, connecting, and there's an invitation for this download to happen. And, and I don't know what happened, but I would say, if I were encouraging you, I would say, go with the feeling first, you know, cause even when people have a dream, I say, well, what was the emotion? What was the overall feeling of that uh, so if you approach this download as if it's a dream, it doesn't have to be real in the sense of it happened exactly like that, but rather this is an important experience and I want to understand what it represents. So yeah. what does a playground represent? It feels negative, but I will tell you this, 
this is just important. Like sometimes people add a negative or fear-based um, sort of overlay over actual pleasure. So mm. I'm just letting you know, this is my mm. fantasy about you, Katie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. You may, you may have been frightened on a playground by someone else. Someone bullied you. You fell, you hurt yourself. You looked around and you couldn't see your mom. Like there's a lot of things that happen on playgrounds that actually can feel quite scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but also pleasure can feel, feel frightening, particularly if people are around you all the time saying, calm down, slow down, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I would just say, really be open to this experience. Don't label it even as I know this must be something bad. No, no, just say, I'm open to this experience and whatever wisdom it's going to offer me, you know, and, and I'm going to, and maybe allow yourself to journal about it and start with the feeling and then picture the images and then maybe even start to wonder, well, what are my playground memories? Like what, when I think about a playground for me, what comes to mind and just let yourself. And also, if you want to know more, you could also, before you go to bed tonight, suggest to yourself that you're going to have an important dream and um, be open to that and say, I want to have an important dream that's going to help me further understand what I most need to know right now, or okay. need to know about this. Right. 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 I love that. I love all of that. Those are all great ideas. And I will definitely try it because it's just, uh, when you get that, when you get that download, it's a very specific feeling. Um, and, um, I I love the idea of curiosity. I, I think that the more we can live in curiosity, the better our lives can be. And the more, because each step, each, each little, like, thing that we uncover, I feel like it's just like a stepping stone to more peace and more joy and more passion and more purpose and like more of all the good stuff in life. So it, sometimes we got to like move through something that might feel a little icky or uncomfortable, but like there's such benefit on the other side. And and that's what I'm trying to help women to understand is that like, it does feel sometimes a little uncomfortable but then it's so worth it because of what you get out of it. And then each time you're able to do that, you gain a little more trust in yourself and your ability to handle the uncomfortableness and you enter it with a little more ease and a little more curiosity and a little more openness. And then you get the next little jewel on your path. And it's it's just a beautiful way of living life. Yes, I totally agree with you. And the only thing I would add is most people's scariest moments and uncomfortablenesses have already happened or they're living in them already. Yeah. Yeah. And do you find that that's what happens is that when people finally find their way to you, it's the discomfort of living the way they're living has now, like the balances have tipped. And now that is the discomfort of living like that is now overcoming those other fears that you mentioned. Absolutely. And sometimes it comes in the form of symptoms. Right. So I think of, I think of symptoms as signals. Um, and so sometimes symptoms come because it's literally knocking, knocking louder, knocking louder. And, you know, from an Ayurvedic wellness perspective and a holistic mind, body, spirit, the, 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 the closer we can listen to ourselves and catch things sooner, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we don't have to get to disease. We don't right. have to get to disorder. Like some of those yeah. things I think 
are kind of, some things are out of our control, but I think a lot of things are. And if we pay really close attention to our bodies, we know when we're starting to get really achy in our joints, like, okay, I wasn't last week. Why am I now? Oh, maybe it's because I've been eating more sugar. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, so it's just like paying attention. Um, And so symptoms are signals. Um, So yes, I think people come in because something's become unbearable. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's whatever it is, it's like, I'm being pulled towards something bigger than I have now. For some people, they're not really in a terrible amount of distress necessarily, but they realize that they're trapped in a okayness that is not themselves. And so it's like, I feel like I'm I'm safe and I'm contained, but I've got so much more I want to experience, but I'm afraid or I don't know how. So I think that's another reason people certainly come to me. And, and a lot of, some people come to me just because they're in training, they're trying to do the healing work and they know that they're, they're the actual, um, the, that the self is actually what's part of the work. So they, some people really come knowing that and honoring that and go, Hey, I've got to do the personal work because I'm about to try to guide somebody else to this. Right. whether it's acupuncture or massage or therapy, you know, that right. there's many different kinds of ways to heal and people who haven't done the work, it makes it very hard. Yeah. I oh, know. Absolutely. And, and that's one of, I love doing this work that I'm doing with the podcast and, you know, uh, hopefully coaching at some point, because I'm like, well, I got to do my own work. I'm sorry, honey. I got to go on that retreat. I don't, it's part of my job. Uh-uh. It's a write-off, Katie. <laughs> it's a write-off. I love it that. It is a write-off, Katie. <laughs> yes. yes, ongoing trainings and retreats. And I mean, I have my everyday practices and I, you know, books that I read and all the things. And I just, I love all of that. And it helps me so much, but then it allows me to help others. Um, yeah. So it's beautiful. Absolutely. And yeah, I do have retreats, but, and I have something coming out next year, early next year. And it's, it's an at-home retreat experience where it's this, it's a fully curated retreat where you can literally open up. It has a physical box, but you you can get it virtually too, where you literally just have all of the different um, rituals and workshops and experiences laid out. Um, I walk you through it. And, um, it's a beautiful retreat experience and you can get it for two hours. You could have a whole weekend one. Um, and it also invites people maybe like you, Katie, or people who are leaders to just have a curated experience and run their own retreats seeing this model. Um, but it's just about sharing the retreat experience because so many people actually really can't either take off physically leave, um, want to leave their town COVID got in the way of a lot of people getting out and about. And so that's what really helped me create that particular one. Um, Could could you use that? And I'm just, I'm thinking about in my own experience, like as a group retreat, but all done virtually, but at a location, for example, I'm thinking about my yoga studio. Like could my yoga studio host a weekend retreat using this? Yes. Okay. That's a great idea. That's a fantastic idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've, and I've done them here at my house just with my people, um, yeah. And I've done, and I have done r- virtual retreats before, but you can also, yeah, create a group of your friends. It could be like, we're going to celebrate so-and-so's 30th birthday. It's going to be instead of having that typical weekend at the beach for a bride, you know, mm. it's about meaningful in, inner work and togetherness and community, but it's fully yeah. curated. Um, 
And so that will be launching next year um, at some point. But but I also do in-person retreats here in New Orleans where I am mm-hmm. and I've done them internationally. So, but uh, I love the virtual retreat experience because I feel like you can do it by yourself too, which is all right. really wonderful, right? Yeah. You yeah. Fire, circle of fire ceremonies and mm-hmm. and I guide people through things. So I'm right there with you if you want, but other other people can lead them as well. But okay. I, you, I love retreats. It just gets you up and out of your everyday life. It gives you a break, refresh, renew, and um, any kind of connecting to yourself and others is going to expand, expand awareness. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like it's a, a reset. Like you step out of your everyday stuff that you do every single day and you just almost enter this different world. And from that different space, you can have so much, such a different perspective and come to see things differently and then, and then take that back into your everyday world. Yes. Well, I think about it as integration, right? So like we learn things, we underline them, we go to podcasts, we go to workshops, but like, where do we do actually do it? Right. And so I think retreats is a great place to actually do integration work. Yeah. Yeah. And well, also I think journaling is a great place to do integration work. And I wanted to circle back on the journaling because I love journaling. I always say there's like magic when you put pen to paper and I'm like, please use like an actual piece of paper, paper when you journal, because I know know. something about that, but I, throughout my life, talking to many women about all these things, because I've informally been talking to people about this for years, I encounter a lot of resistance around journaling. Yeah. So please, can you help me understand that? (laughs) The one answer I've gotten is I'm afraid someone will read it. And so I always say, well, then burn it, like write it and burn it. It's still, you're still getting it out, but I don't know. There is a lot of resistance there. A lot of resistance. Well, I started journaling when I was like nine or 10 years old and I have all of my old journals. Oh, that's Um, cool. And I know that some people have actually contracted with best friends to come get the journals upon their death, right? Like there's a sense of like, some people are happy for their people to read their journals after they're gone. And other people are afraid of that. I do love the idea of burning things. I talk a lot about letter writing and um, have all kinds of rituals around burning and letting go of things. Mm-hmm. So I do think it's powerful. You could write anything and burn it, but I love going back and looking at my old writings. It's see, I can see things uh, more objectively when I read back and I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't know I was thinking that. I totally forgot about that. In a way, it's another way of becoming your own therapist. By the way, there's no substitute for having a therapist, but I do think there's a way of internalizing that kind of work. Mm-hmm. And this is one way, because you can get reflection um, and see your growth over time and pick up on your own themes. I think- People are, it's kind of the same thing I said about meditation and dream interpretation. People both want to know and don't want to know. They're afraid to know what they're thinking. They're afraid they're really a bad person. They're afraid they're gay. They're afraid that if they think something, they're going to have to divorce their, their person. Um, they're, people are afraid of their aggressive and sexual thoughts and feelings. Um, they're afraid of digging up old traumas. Um, they don't, you know, it's like, don't want to disrupt the status quo. I mean, there's a lot of that. So I think there's a lot of ambivalence about why would I want to know if I'm not going to do anything about it kind of feeling. So, um, so I don't know. I think it's just, we just continue to live by example that 
there's so many different kinds of journaling. Mm -hmm. Someone like this might really benefit from some prompts um, where they're not just loose in their own minds. Number one, people like this might benefit from just starting with gratitude journaling every day. And I think if you started gratitude journaling every day, and then maybe you did your symbol of strength or you journaled about what's, what's a safe place like for me. And you started getting these core like things that help establish security and safety. My guess is that person would be more open. Like all of a sudden, maybe they would be more curious. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's a great um, explanation because I, I was not associating the resistance with kind of the fear of what was going to come out. Um, oh, yes. So that's yeah, primary. that's primary. <laughs> I, would say, I would say it's primary that, and also, and then what, what the things that have to happen after, you know, something, if I figure out that I don't like my job, it means I have to leave my job, but they count on, I love them. Or if I feel like, um, you know, there's something wrong with my relationship with my best friend, but I love her and I, I'm scared to make new friends. Like uh, all of a sudden you're just like, oh, yeah. it just makes it hard. Right. Um, I don't want to face that conflict with my sister. Um, I don't want to think about why I feel so small and inadequate. Why is that? Why I don't want to think about that. I want to feel yeah. confident, but it's like, right. well, I want you to feel confident too, but those other thoughts are there, whether you look at them or not, and they're right. getting in your way. So it's almost yeah. like an invitation of like, come on, we can do this together. Yeah. You can look at this. Um, yeah, yeah, that's great because I think you're right. I think people want to like, uh, there's an old expression that I'm blanking on right now, but like sweep the dirt under the rug or something oh, like yeah. that. Guess what? You're just going to trip. Yeah. Yes. Like just it's because be you mouth. pretend like it's not there doesn't mean it's actually not there. It's there. And even if you're actively trying to avoid it, it's going to show up in somewhere in your life. And like you said, even if it's, if you're like actively shutting it out of your head or trying to, it's going to show up in some issue in yes. your body or yes. in your relationship yes. or yes, yes. And yes, it will not be ignored. It will not be ignored. That's right. And we have defenses that help us, right? Like that we can push things away or that we can use denial. And some of those are really helpful to us. But I think when it becomes fixed and we're no longer able to actually really look and we keep pushing things away, obviously it gets in our way. Um, and it can actually cause harm rather yeah. than help us at some point. Yeah. Um, or like the th what you were just talking about, um, it coming out in another way, like another thing that can happen is displacement. Like, so I might actually really be upset with somebody in my family, but maybe it's going to come out with the guy in traffic or whatever. I'm not, that's not particularly my thing, but you know, it's yeah. like these things that come out sideways, um, you have to pay attention to, it might not really be about the person at work. Right. Right. I mean, it's, it's classic behavior of like with our loved ones where you're like partner, like snaps at you or whatever. And you're like, Whoa, <laughs> I know you're like, where did that come from? But, yeah. but you're a safe person in your house. You're, you're safe to a lot of people. Right. You're going to get a lot of stuff directed your way. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I didn't mention this word compassion, but it's really important to me about having compassion for other people, tolerating ambivalent feelings about other people and yourself, having self-compassion and any mm -hmm. practices that you can do that enhance compassion for yourself and others. And there's just too much of that not around in our world right now. Yeah. There's a lot of divisiveness. There's a lot of hate. There's a lot of othering and it's affecting our culture. It's affecting mm -hmm. our, our the, just, it's affecting everything. So I really just say practicing in self-compassion and compassion can also help you through any of these, you know, your personal growth journey for sure.
Yeah. And speaking of, uh, we were talking about different types of meditation. I love a loving kindness meditation, which is all about, yeah. I mean, I've had one, but I, I, uh, just wrote a blog on compassion and equanimity and, um, set out another loving kindness meditation attached to that as well. So I I believe in that. And, um, yes, everyone should be doing that every day right now. (laughs) It's so true. (laughs) And it is amazing how, you know, you can sit and do that for five minutes and the difference in the way you feel pre and post meditation is it's like unbelievable. Like you just can't even imagine that in such a short period of time, you could alter your, how you feel Yes, that dramatically. It's wild. Absolutely. Even taking a few deep breaths. I, I have a patient of mine who really struggled with anger a lot and really felt like it was going to overflow all over the place. And in practicing a loving kindness meditation, they described it as having a, a kind of thin armor around them that protected them. It kind of kept the anger in, but also protected them from the impingement from the environment that was causing such anger, you know, and quite often anger comes from that sense of injustice or something wrong. So sometimes it comes out of the blue and we don't know why we're feeling angry, but quite often there's injustices, small and big could be in your academic department. It could be, you know, uh, at home, um, and certainly in the world. So I think loving kindness offers that it offers that resource of like that little bit of an armor, um, and helps you manage your own anger. Um, Even with people that deserve, deserve maybe some of the anger, (laughs) but (laughs) like, but it affects us, right? Like if we get filled with it, it's like, it it only really affects us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Last night, my daughter, she was on a rampage. She had had a history class where she learned a lot of stuff that she was not aware of. Um, I won't go into all the topics, but you know, a lot of political stuff that she had not been aware of prior to this class. And it really upset her and angered her. Um, And she also was having a little tiff with her boyfriend. So she was, she was hot. Okay. She was hot. She was going off. And I said, listen, you know, these are injustices a hundred percent. And maybe you want to decide that you want to get involved in one of these causes. Fantastic. Mm -hmm but you can't do anything from this place. You can't do anything effective from this place. You need to find your inner calm and then you move from that space of calmness out into the world. Because if you move from this space, you're just you're just further inflaming the whole situation, right? We will change the world by finding our own internal stillness and moving from there. And that is what I hope and pray that I can bring to the world through this podcast and through the women that I will interact with that to find that inner peace and stillness and then make all decisions from that place. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful mission, Katie, and I'm super aligned with it. And, and more people need to be aligned in that mission. Right. Because I think a lot of people are not, they feel like in order to make a difference, you have to get louder and matter. Um, and I do think there's some times where we need to speak up and, and anger is not a bad thing. It's how we use our anger and how we use our, um, but I, but I'm very aligned with you in this. Like it, we have to be, and especially if you're going to be a helper, if you're going to be a helper, a healer or leader in this world, 
you have to master this art of getting back into your center so that you can lead. Um, and it takes just practice. Yeah. It takes practice. And I feel like every good decision I've ever been able to make in my life came from being able to find that stillness. It didn't come from being in that overexcitable, angry, frustrated, you know, space. Um, I just don't, I don't think most people can make very good decisions from that space. Yeah. It's very hard. It's very, very hard. Well, thank you so much for being here. Is there anything else you want to share with the audience? I'm super excited about that retreat thing. So I'm going to be on the lookout for that. (laughs) Well, and I think I haven't, I don't know what my launch is going to be. I think it's going to be sometime in late, late February, but I I, would love for you, for anyone who's interested, all you have to do is reach out to Jamie at windows to wisdom.com. But, and that's my website. And then I think I do have this 21 day wellness challenge. So for anyone who is sort of wanting to align with how to understand their dreams, how to connect with journaling, how to start taking care of yourself and set themselves up for success. There is a free challenge. It's a wellness challenge you can sign up for, but really, and I would love for people if they want to learn more about what I'm doing, but really these ideas, much like you, Katie, it's sort of like, I just want people to take this knowledge and just figure out their place with it. You know, just start, you don't have to start with a course. You don't even have to join a community. Really. Mm -hmm. If you already have a community, just start journaling, just start meditating, do it five minutes a day. Like it's just that one step is going to make a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. And one last quick question. I meant to circle back on this. The dreaming is fascinating. I rarely ever dream. It is very uncommon for me to dream is what do you do with people in that circumstance? (laughs) I'm going to give you the one minute answer because I I go, but I will say this. When people start doing the work with me, if they aren't dreaming, they become dreamers because Uh as you're, it's almost like as you're stirring things, things start coming. So much the same way that I suggested before you go to bed, you're going to actually suggest to yourself tonight, I'm going to have a dream. I'm going to have a meaningful dream. And I'm going to remember it. And then what I want you to do is have something right by your bed where you can write down the dream as soon as you wake up and continue to do this nightly. I'm going to dream. I'm going to have a meaningful dream and I'm going to remember it. And, um, and chances are you, you will start having your dreams. I have worked with people who have said that I don't dream. And then they're like, I had three dreams <laughs> last yeah. time I saw you. Um, I have a whole bunch of other things to say about dreams, but anybody who's interested in that, there's some, there's some things coming out next year, but there are, there's a dream interpretation guide, I think attached to the website that gives you some basics. And I really believe in dream interpretation. So I say, be curious, write down your dreams, get, um, and use them as uh, a compass, you know? Okay. Okay. I will, I will try both of those things. And ironically, this download that came this morning, I had a dream, not last night, but the night before, which is, I can't even remember the last time I had a dream. So I'm like, "Mm, now you're making me think, are these two things connected? Yes. Yes. (laughs) I would go back. I absolutely think it is. I think that would be exciting (laughs) to start, start looking into. But yeah. it's been really a pleasure to talk to you, Katie. I'm glad you that too. I could talk to you and you have too. this conversation. I hope it was helpful to some of your listeners. And uh, I'm hope- sure it will be. Yes. All right. And we will release it in um, sometime in 2024. And I will put your website in the show notes and um, do anything else, any other like contact information or you just want the well, website? Well, I site? think, I don't know if I have your email directly, but I would say windows to uh, Jamie at windows to wisdom.com, but I can at least give your people the link to the free challenge. So they have it if they want it. 
That'd be but great. Yeah. If you could send that over to me, that would be great. All right. That sounds good. Okay. All, All right. right. Thank you so much, Jamie. Have a wonderful day. You too. Bye. Bye. Well, that was fascinating. I mean, fascinating for myself and I hope also fascinating for you. This week's mindful exercise is going to be around what Jamie and I were talking about, this resistance or fear of starting to do internal work like meditation or journaling or dream interpretation. Um, so I, I want, I invite you to consider thinking about one of those practices. And if you don't engage in those practices, why? So go, you know, go a little bit deeper and see if maybe the why is what Jamie was talking about of the fear of what you might uncover and how that could possibly impact your life. Um, So I'd like you to sit with that for a little bit if you're willing to, just really going deeper and discovering why you've had some resistance to these uh, tools that could could improve your life um, and really think about the cause, the reason. Is it really that you don't have enough time? Is it really really that um, you just don't think that you like journaling um, or meditating or whatever the practice is? Or is there something deeper? So that's my mindfulness invitation for the week. And I, of course, will be sending out my newsletter with a ton of other tidbits and goodies. And I hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I hope you learned something during this last hour. I hope you had at least one aha moment or took one thing away that is going to make your life better. All right. Bye, guys. And I will see you next time. Hi, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our other episodes, I ask that you please like the show, follow, subscribe, or share. The way that podcasts work is the more people that do one of those things, the more likely it is that when someone's looking for a podcast to listen to, our show will pop up for them. I started this podcast because I really see there's a great need in our world for people to feel more peace, joy, love, and acceptance in their lives. And I think we can do that when we have a greater sense of self-awareness. We could become conscious creators of our own lives. And I'm seeking to do that for as many people as possible. So if you could help me by liking, sharing, or subscribing to the show, I'd really appreciate it. And hopefully someone hears a conversation that changes their life. Thank you again, and I'll see you next time. Much love.